You've searched high for tips on how to be a great marketing leader. You've searched low for insights on strategy. Don't waste time looking any further. You're in the right place for both and more. CMO Convo. ABM, accounts-based marketing. You've probably heard about it and all the data and tech that might be required. Get them up and running and let the money pile in, right? Probably not. What about actually understanding the processes and what your accounts actually want? What about the human side of ABM? We're speaking to Joel Caparella, Head of Revenue at WorkIver, on why ABM needs that human element to succeed. Hi, Joel. Welcome to CMO Convo. How are you doing today? Well, I'm doing great. Thanks Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to the, to the conversation. It's, it's a great conversation we're going to be having. Like We've talked about ABM quite a few times on the show, but I really want to focus on this sort of human element, the human side of ABM, because... It's one of those things that can be very important in these sort of trying economic times. And I think a lot of companies are exploring their ABM options and seeing how they can improve them. So perfect time to be talking about this, Joel. I'm sure our audience appreciates it too. Before we do get into that, that very meaty subject, um, maybe you could introduce yourselves to our audience, tell us a bit about why you specifically wanted to talk about this, uh, this subject today. Uh, Sure. Well, I'm happy to do it. And I agree with you. I think especially now with the macroeconomic headwinds that we're all facing, uh, that you're always looking for efficiency. So this is a great place to to seek. So I'm glad we're having an opportunity to to chat about it. So I've been in uh, SaaS for for many years, probably since SaaS was even a term. Uh, Before that was with uh, SAP, you know, when we would have on-prem solutions. So I've been marketing in the tech space pretty much my entire career. I spent about four years uh, consulting, uh, not necessarily around ABM specifically, but just really how to make the most of your marketing effort with whatever your tech was or whatever your processes were internally. Um, I'm, I'm a company called Workiva right now, and we're, we're zeroed in uh, on uh, financial reporting and uh, environmental sustainability and governance and um, governance and compliance as well. So our platform does all those things. So we're talking to a lot of risk professionals, a lot of accountants, a lot of uh, sustainability pros. So we're applying it. The nice thing about this conversation, regardless of the market that you're in, the tactics and the strategies can really be applicable across any market, no matter the sales cycle, in my opinion, but I'm sure we'll explore that. Definitely. Definitely. Let, let's sort of start with like a fairly foundational topic. Let, let's talk about what is, what is the state of sort of ABM at the moment? Like what is the landscape looking like for most industries? As yeah, you know, well, it's interesting because it reminds me of the early days of, of, of MarTech, like inbound marketing especially, because the term is loosely applied. If you talk to many in our, in our line of work, um, you'll probably get five to 10 different definitions if you talk to five to 10 different folks, right? It's really an intersect of a couple of things, really an account-focused strategy. So where you absolutely have named accounts that your sales team has the responsibility for uh, nurturing and, and ultimately converting into customers. So that's the first kind of element of it. There's obviously the technology component, and that's grown pretty rapidly over the last five plus years or so. But then the third is the marketing. How are you going to adjust your marketing strategy and tactics to address the account focus and to maximize what you're getting out of your tech. So it is certainly evolving. It, in my opinion, and what I've seen, it certainly is differently applied depending upon what your contract values look like, what your retention rights look like, are you looking to expand, how quick are your sales cycles. So just like anything else that we do as marketing professionals, there's a lot of 
uh, what ifs, right? So uh, that that makes it challenging, but I think the payoff is is significant if you if you commit to maturing it and getting it performing better and better over time. Let's talk about um, what you can achieve with ABM because, to my mind, it sounds like an approach that really focuses you focuses you in on some very very specific customers that allows you to tailor it towards that and it's sort of high risk high reward to my mind but i know it's been very very successful for many companies so if it's not high risk high reward tell me that i'm ta- i'm thinking about it wrong well you know i think there's ways to look at it there's a one to one i think what you're defining it would be a more one to one focus strategy yeah. where you do have you're talking in in those instances you have very large values of the of the what what comes at the end which is the a closed one uh deal right uh and you're going to invest a significant amount of effort because there is a huge reward if you're able to land that very large account so in a one to one strategy there's a lot of focus placed very very discreetly on each individual account. There's one to few where it's a little bit more broadly focused on your segmentation. And then there's a a kind of a one to many where it's more categorical over the types of accounts that you identify and group based upon similarities. So, you know, when I hear the question about, hey, the big investment for a big payoff, but can also be risky. What I've seen is the, the greater you know those accounts, and the higher confidence that you have that you're going to close a certain percentage of them. Let's say you have 100 and you feel pretty confidently you can close 15% of them because those deals uh, are significantly priced. Um, you know, if, you, if you're confident in that, then, then it's really not much risk at all because you're really focused on 15 out of the 100 that you want to close. So that's, again, that's what gets challenging because many marketing pros and even sales pros, when they talk about it, don't even break it down that way, right? They just kind of pl- apply it account focus very, very broadly, not and figuring that the named account list is what their target is. But it really is requires more segmentation and understanding of what you're really trying to achieve as it aligns to what your revenue numbers are, what your marketing uh, strategy is. So it's a lot packed in there, but it's a it's a complicated, it can be a complicated topic. It's it can be a complicated topic, but to my mind, to really distill it down into what you need for success, it's got to be account intelligence, surely. Yeah. You said it's the understanding the accounts, understanding their needs. I think a lot of people are going with sort of like a tech-driven process to get that account intelligence, which might work in normal circumstances, but with things changing so rapidly with the economy, with your potential accounts statuses changing rapidly tech might not be the best route to my mind at the moment. What do you think on that, Joe? I Look, I could not agree. I could not possibly agree more, right? We as marketers sometimes over-index on the tech itself. And what, what again, what I've seen in my experience is over-investment technology, you usually end up not maximizing or optimizing that technology. There's also different applications for the different tech in your stack. Where account strategies are concerned, I, I agree with you. I think running off to... Uh, invest a good deal of your budget into an account uh, platform probably isn't the best route. Analyzing and looking at the performance of your marketing, and we 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 at Workiva break it into three phases: care, consider, choose. Um, 
And that actually, I, I would say that that actually we didn't even invent that. A, an employee, of, uh, one, a member of my team brought it in. She worked for IBM and that's what they use. What I like about that is it simplifies the way you're looking at your marketing. You know, some people have much more complicated stages. You can kind of consider it top, middle, bottom of the funnel to a degree. But the reason I bring it up is you simplify your marketing process before you go and invest in technology. What is the performance at the top part of your process? Are you gathering the attention that you need? And then the next would be what is the quality of those conversions that you're ending up, that you end up handing over to the sales team? Now, we all measure those things, but are you really taking a discrete look at how those conversions are performing and the quality that it's bringing, especially around the accounts that are most important? So I would argue that that is where the immediate focus needs to be in your marketing as it stands today. What is the quality around the accounts you care about the most? And then it becomes an equation of not just the immediate contact, but the overall penetration within that account. How, how much activity are you getting? What are the titles of the folks that are coming in? Uh, how broadly dispersed? If it's a large multinational, geographically, where are they? Like just zeroing in on that for a good six months, just by doing that, then if you go and invest in tech, first of all, you're going to know the right questions to ask. You're going to be able to evaluate the tech better. And then when you get it in-house, you'll be able to apply it more uh, swiftly. So who are, the, who are the people that need to be involved in this process then? Is it, well, sales is it absolutely needs to be sales? involved. Yeah. So yeah. it's not just accounts-based marketing. It's not just yeah. marketing's job. There are other departments that need to be involved for sure. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, it, if you can't have, we, we don't even call it account-based marketing here. We call it ABX, we call it account-based strategy. X stands for strategy some way, shape, or form. <laughs> Maybe it's an American thing, I don't know. But it's an account strategy, right? A top to bottom. And our long-term vision, because we believe if we invest and mature properly, we really believe that that long-term vision will make us incredibly more efficient with our dollars and really uh, eliminate the noise to focus on where we know the best bets are. So the first, the first thing that has to happen is sales has to be ordered by accounts. I mean, it sounds silly, but I've seen uh, marketing organizations where they have a territory strategy, uh, but they're trying to apply an account uh, strategy over top of that. And that th those two things don't necessarily always align. So that's the first thing. I think you have to have a good, strong conversation and understand how your sales team is running uh, the reconnaissance on their accounts, how they're building out. Now, one thing Will, I do want to be clear about it, it, you know, we have a deal cycle that's anywhere from 60 to 120 days. So they're a little longer in nature. If, if it's more transactional, it's a different, obviously a different approach, right? But I would maybe suggest that a transactional sales cycle isn't necessarily best suited for a hardcore account strategy. Well, yeah, I mean, they're more reliant on those quick wins, aren't they, in that situation, um, particularly when it comes to planning out budget ahead of time. Like you can't really switch your model completely over in that in that way. And when it comes to sort of planning ahead with uh, these sort of longer sales cycles, that's got to be really difficult to do in times like this, where the economy's in trouble, budgets are being slashed. Like, how do you account for those longer sales cycles when it comes to sort of pitching for budget, when it comes to planning for the future even? I think it's a, it's a very fair question, Will. And um, I, the other day on, on my LinkedIn, I don't remember, I, I wish I could remember who, who delivered the post. But there was a good breakdown of just SaaS marketing metrics. Um, and the, the gist of it was that you need to be measuring the basics, the foundational things like your conversion rates and, and the MQLs and all the things we take for granted so that 
you can actually drive that quality, right? So ultimately, it becomes how a matter of how confident you are as marketing pros to contribute to the pipeline. So if I, it's an imprecise science, we all know that, right? Especially the more esoteric the solutions are. Um, but in a long sales cycle, I have to have a certain degree of confidence that my actions and my investments are going to net uh, a certain probability of what ends up into the pipeline. So that, I think that is critical. If you're not, you know, what is your pipeline multiple? Uh, that has to do with what your win rate looks like. So again, these are things that we kind of have at the ready, but sometimes take for granted. But if we're looking at the win rate and we understand what our pipeline multiple is, and we have a fair uh, amount of control over the actions and investments we're making, that when we activate something or we run the campaigns, what's the percentage of that that's going to end up in the pipeline? Not necessarily directly. I think that's another mistake that even we make sometimes here is the one-to-one -one nature of a specific marketing tactic in the pipeline I mean, sure, that happens and is certainly measurable and you should pay attention to it. But it's the cumulative body of work that you're doing in marketing that drives the conversations and attention that gets these, uh, again, those conversations translated into pipe. So as far as like a long-term planning, that's the first question. I mean, right now, I mean, look, we're recording this uh, towards the end of the year and we're all looking towards the next year and planning cycles. If you haven't had a pretty hardcore conversation over how you are performing, where that performance needs to improve, and what your confidence is and how you're contributing to the pipeline. Well, that's that's obviously the first place to start, in, in my opinion. And and how regularly should you maybe performing this exercise? Like is it, it can't be just a one and done thing, surely. Like especially with longer sales cycles, what's kind of the time frame? Is it annually, biannually, quarterly? Like what would you advise in terms of your like, assessing these processes? Yeah, look, that's a really good question. You know, I've seen it at a very broad level, you at least have to be looking at these things quarterly. Let's say your marketing budget is $2 million over the year, right? Uh, what, how is, how are you performing on a quarter, quarter over quarter basis? And I think a lot of times it matters to look at quarter one of this fiscal year versus quarter one of last, because that eliminates any seasonality or things like that. So you want to compare apples to apples there. Now, that's again at a broad brushstroke. I think on the, on the daily, right? Um, maybe not every day, but in a more regular fashion. What is your health of marketing dashboard look like? You know, we certainly have one here at Workiva. If you don't have one, that's a good place to start. But what are you looking for? A lot of times, uh, marketing pros um, will trade tactics for strategy, or vice versa. They'll overindex on strategy without seeing how the tactics are performing. It really has to become a combination of the two. Strategically, what am I setting out to do, especially when we're talking about an account strategy? If there's that finite mix of accounts we're targeting, and I know the percentage that I want to get, and I understand, what, say it's an expansion opportunity versus a net new opportunity, I understand what that looks like. I know what leads to good conversation and pipeline. If I know all those things, then I can start to evaluate the health of what I'm doing. And it could... And Will, it could really be, let's just talk about just um, branding, right? People, that's another term people over-index and use in various ways. But ultimately brand, and the way that we look at it is I want to earn the right to hold your attention. Like that's the first thing that has to happen. And why is that? Because it makes my marketing dollars more powerful. If you've consumed or read something from us or you've gained value for, from us, 
when you then when you go see the are 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 paid, you're going to match those two things up, and it inherently increases the lift of what your spend does, right? So where brand is concerned, again, remember I'm talking about like you, you asked about just how often we should measure and reconcile, and ultimately what is the impact to our contribution to pipe. That's how you back off of that. So okay, if I have again, we use care, consider, and choose. I care. The only thing we're doing is trying to deliver value for the sake of you, the audience member. Not We're not looking to convert you. We don't even necessarily need you to visit us necessarily, but we want to give you that value. So, okay, we have to measure that. So what does that measurement look like? For us, we look at volume of visitors, their time on the page, the bounce rates, their click through on the page, not individually, but like an amalgamated mix of those things. And it, it ends up being an index. So we'll look at that index and how it's performing over time. So that that's how you would look at something very high level like brand. On the tactical level, what are the offers that perform the best and return the most? I mean, that it's as simple as that. It, when it gets tricky, Will, especially when you're talking about account focus, is that's a lot and you gotta pick the two or three things that are most important. So that that is many times, the, the not necessarily just the frequency, but even before you decide the frequency, what are the three big things I'm going to measure to make sure I understand what my quality is and how I'm contributing to those good conversations that end up in the pipeline. And I feel like by by working on this, this way of thinking, this way of looking at your processes before tech, it's got to be a very powerful thing because it means you understand what is going on in a much yes. more detailed way. You're not just saying like, oh, my plugin is doing really well on this. My dashboard is showing this. You're actually getting to understand how things fit together in a real effective way. And that means you can properly identify the types of tech that you need in the future. No, 100%. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, to get into the technology discussion, you're right, because if I have that settled, now when I go and acquire and add to my tech platform, I can then start to leverage and optimize the tech for its strengths. Many, many platforms have... Um, Intel that tells you when accounts are moving into intent. But there is a lot that has to happen for you to understand. Like there's just marketing 101. Hey, do I really know what the intent to explore our solution looks like? Right. So if you're doing a lot at the front end, we talked, look, we talked about uh, awareness and capturing the audience. We talked about the value of the conversions and making sure I have quality. That's why those things matter. Because if I look at the quality of my conversion, forget about the conversion number. And that's certainly important, but what lies behind that? What's the quality of those individual conversions? If I know that, I am able to be to discern what intent looks like because ultimately their algorithms is just kind of you you feed information into it and it spits out, hey, company X is looking to buy. Well, if if my understanding of the intent to explore or buy isn't great, I'm not going to get a lot out of the technology. Yeah, and that um that intent data might be based on historic data that's not relevant to that company's circumstances right now. It might be based on circumstances that aren't realistic for the economy, the economy that we're living in. It could be looking at yeah. things that are based more on sort of maybe a pandemic era or even older than that. So that kind of leads into what I wanted to cover next, Joel, which was we talked a bit about sort of the human element and the importance of having a human-focused ABM strategy within an organization. Let's talk about the human element when it comes to your accounts and how you actually build that sort of human connection, that human understanding with your accounts and your audience. Hmm. How do, how the heck do you know what your audience wants right now with everything that's so chaotic at the moment? Yeah, I think the, 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 um, 
the temptation is to over-index on that and the macroeconomic headwinds, right? That's the temptation, I think, right? If and, and of course, it, there certainly could have a significant impact. There's no doubt, right? In certain industries, probably more so. Uh, you know, I'm not sure about. I can't speak for 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 Europe right now, but obviously, we're experiencing here in the U.S. massive inflation. Now, is an inflation a, a big factor in the way that your target audience is buying? If it is, then you have to just have to consider those factors. If it is not, however, the temptation is to over-index on addressing the macroeconomic conditions, right? So ultimately, it becomes a matter of how well do I understand the cares, the concerns. It's it's almost sounds glib to suggest it because it's like marketing one-on-one stuff. But how well do I really sincerely know how Will is navigating? Uh, what benefit he gets from not necessarily just our technology, you know, or Kiva, let's say, but um, or, or CMO Alliance, right? But how is he gaining value from the day-to-day, right? I mean, that's where it has to begin. Like that is the human element, right? Many times, years ago, we had a consultant come in. I worked for a software company and um, it was the early days of product marketing. Product Once upon a time, product marketing didn't exist as a discipline, believe it <laughs> or not, right? So it was the early days of that. And he said, uh, I'm going to, I might not get it right, but he said, hey, your, your opinion, marketer, is in, while interesting, is irrelevant, right? And his point was, it doesn't matter what you think. It matters what the audience thinks and what they care about. And we, as marketers, uh, default to the pain solution value. And that's a good game to play for sure. But does, is Will thinking about the really discrete thing that my software solves today? Probably not. There's probably a higher level of, uh, of cares that you have that are really in your head on the day-to-day. And I just so happen, this little piece of technology over here just happens to connect and make that thing better, right? So when you're talking about the human element, again, the first thing is, does the macroeconomic condition change the way your buyers are evaluating? If it does, you obviously have to address that. But more importantly, do you really, truly, sincerely know? Forget about the solution because you have to get there, but you can't even earn the right to talk about the solution unless I connect with Will at a higher level. So what are the things that Will cares about or Joel cares about? Uh, and I, I, look, I'll give you a great example. We, we have a conversational chatbot that we purchased and they did a really phenomenal job connecting with me and other execs here at Workiva because they were they were talking about something at the moment that we were really concerned with and it was it was basically where our focus ought to be um, on on a certain part of the of the marketing funnel so they had a lot of content that was directed towards that now they their the chatbot doesn't necessarily serve that thing directly right but that's how they garnered our attention. Now, the experience with them was better and better because they gave me and and, and revenue, I'm sorry, marketing ops and uh, the head of product marketing a lot of meaty material to consider to help me decision make, to help me plan. Now, translate. Tra- let's transition into the sales cycle now, right? The sales cycle was completely different because they have a very, very discreet thing that they do. And it's got a very, very discreet value. It's tangentially connected to the thing that caught our attention, but they didn't sell us on the thing that caught our attention. They sold us on the differentiating value of their solution, right? So I hope I hope that's not too many words because it's, it's really critical and far too many marketers don't do it. So when we're talking about the human element in these current conditions, assuming you've understood what the macroeconomic conditions mean for your audience is what is that big thing they care about and talk about that, right? So that's, that's again, I think that matters quite a bit because you put your sales force in a more consultative 
position rather than, you know, how much software would you like to buy today? <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, it's almost classic content marketing, isn't it? Like looking at sort of like the bigger picture around your your potential audience. How do you know what that bigger picture is? Is it just going out and asking people or is there certain data data sources that you look for when it comes to this? Yeah, I think, again, it, it certainly depends upon your side of the organization, but it has to be a priority for the marketing leadership across the board and really the, the whole company, right? So how, how you do it on a regular basis is you have to invest in as many conversations over a long duration of time as possible. Um, and not about like, and here's another temptation for marketers, especially at SaaS, is we will exchange these higher level conversations for conversations about the immediate needs that they have from a technology perspective. That's certainly important. I don't want to mitigate that, but to get this right, you have to spend conversations, not anything about the solution, but what's going on in their day to day. What is impactful? What, what are they measured by? What are the, what does the reality of the current conditions mean to them? So uh, one thing that we do is we measure those number of conversations that you're having. Uh, we look at um, our investments in events, let's say, not just as a uh, lead driving event, but a conversational event to gather more information. We also have frameworks that we've built that actually look at, matter of fact, one of my uh, team members, I think, spoke at the PMA uh, to, to actually share some of the messaging frameworks we've built. They are built with a deep investment of the research of these very things. So uh, we have professional groups that we connect with. We have, um, we, we categorize our events as executive level, as uh, user group kind of events, as more uh, practitioner level events. So at each of these, there's interviews happening. We, we, we distill them in the singular database. We summarize those up into um, really two to three main values that we know that with confidence that that audience wants to speak about. We look at, then we look at the obstacles that prevent them from attaining those values. And then ultimately, what, what is the solution and the positive business outcome that the solution gives to them? So that, that's how you do it. It's not, it has to be a commitment. It has to be an investment of time. Now, if you're a small team, you know, maybe you tag along on sales calls or uh, that doesn't even happen these days. So if, you're, if your sales uh, platform lets you record calls, make it a common practice to record every single one. Um, you know, people look, we're recording this one, you get the notification that you're being recorded. It's not uh, strange to have calls recorded these days. It's beneficial for the customer because you can send the recording to them. So that's an easy one. Just get every sales call recorded. If you're in the sales loft or outreach or whatever it might be, just click that option so you could then look at it uh, because you get a, we get a huge amount of information from that part of our business. Definitely, definitely. I mean, you can find out so many different things from um, sitting in on customer calls, sitting in on sales calls that you might not even realize. You can have all these different preconceptions and assumptions about your brand and your marketing and how you're connecting with your audience. And then one single conversation can come in and just blow all those assumptions out the water. I think they can That's be true. really, really powerful tools. Like speaking to the customer, it sounds basic, but it's so powerful. It's yeah, so effective. Absolutely. So this sounds great in practice, but what are sort of like the pitfalls that we need to look out for in this. You, you mentioned like over-indexing, like let, let's dig into that in a bit more. What What is that and how can it be a problem? Well, I, get, I think that the biggest risk is that you generate, this is why the sales team needs to be involved. If you don't, let's say you haven't done some of the things we discussed um, and you go ahead and you get technology, the immediate impact could just be noise to the sales team. 
Um, a lot of organizations mistake this type of technology for their uh, inbound marketing tools or their or their chatbots. Those are different tools, right? The, let's look at chatbots. Chatbots provide an immediate value to the sales team because you have a user on the site, they're active, you, you, you have some immediate intel, and let's say if Will visited our site, we know what page you're on, you know how you've responded to the chatbot, we know what you're looking at, so, and we have a seller that could jump in and, and get involved in that conversation. That's completely different than what your account strategy does because it's a longer play, it's more deliberate, it takes longer to uh, to nurture. So what happens if you don't get those things right? You're going to lose, as marketers, you will lose credibility with your sales team because you've said, oh, well, you should go look at these five accounts because they're showing intent. Well, there's a couple of problems with that. If your data isn't clean, let's say, like that's one thing we've we've had uh, to, to wrestle with. And by the way, data cleanliness is an age-old problem. It's been around forever, right? So the hierarchy of companies, that's another problem that's been around forever. But the parent-child relationship between accounts uh, is, is a challenge. So if you don't have that right, and I'm starting to send to Will the wrong parent or the wrong child company that's not really yours, it's assigned to somebody else, and I've, I've told you that the intent is great, but the intent is, is elusive at best. I mean, you, you're going to you put yourself in a hole with your marketing peers. I'm sorry, your sales peers. Uh, and it's a tough one to dig out of. So that's why I think all of the things we talked about at the beginning of this conversation are absolutely critical. Uh, because what, it, what I've seen happen too often, you know, sales teams are great. And if you get sold on a marketing tech that is account focused and you don't have these things ready, it's uh, it could be damaging. It can be damaging and it can be a huge waste of money as well, yes. which we definitely need to be careful about right now with marketing budgets being slashed. Like, yeah, you I can't, you literally can't afford to be throwing money away like that. Like these are, this is, it's not 2015. We don't have bottomless money for MarTech anymore. Like it's, uh, you got to be very careful with your considerations. So let's say you are actually pitching for funds for some kind of ABM tech. Let's say you have taken the steps that you need to have taken. How can you prove you actually need that ABM tech? Like what, if it's things seem to be going well, taking a very human focused approach, when can you communicate the time when it is the time to actually get some tech to actually invest in some ABM tech? Well, look at some of the things we spoke about. We talked about the quality of your conversions. We talked mm -hmm. about getting more out of the top part of your process with a greater audience. I think those, and then those metrics that you, we talked about, you want to use those to illustrate how it is going to contribute. Remember we talked about uh, confidence of pipeline contribution, right? So we want to use those metrics to build the case to say we should invest in this technology because of this performance. And if we uh, now zero in on these accounts, and again, I don't, I'm not of the mindset, like one-to-one -one is appropriate for very, very large kind of sales cycles, maybe longer. That one-to-many one to, one to very, you know, many is uh, a little bit different. I, I personally think that one-to-few, right, is where the best bets are. Because you would use that data to suggest if we did X, here's what the, the outcome would be. And I can prove that out based upon what we've been performing. And then you would you would see if you do it right, you could assume some increases to your your um, your annual contract values for the averages. Right. So you would look at, OK, that's why the quality matters. If the like one thing we do here is we look at the amount of engagement and we connect it to uh, close one and we connect it to the size of the opportunity. And there's a pretty good correlation between now, sometimes correlation and causation can be dicey to figure out. 
but there's a there's certainly uh, reflects that the greater the engagement, the higher the contract value. So if I have all that information, the, the idea would be, I'm going to focus on these accounts. Here's my segments. I'm going to focus on these accounts. Here's the sales team that's assigned to those accounts. Here's what their tech footprint looks like in those accounts. Here's the ones that are current customers. Here's the ones that are not. Here's what we would anticipate to close in those things. Uh, here's the probability of the win rate that we would target. So given the number of accounts and the win rates that we're going to target and the increase in the contract value, it would net us X. So that's that's how you make the case for it. And then, and then what that's nice about that is it holds everybody accountable to X, right? That everybody would have to agree, okay, that's the number we're going to go ahead and chase. It's almost like an OKR model there as well. Like it's it's a key objective. It's a that, that all these different departments, everyone else can understand and shoot for. So it's a really effective way of aligning all these different moving parts of the business as well. It is, and I think that's another area that is challenging. It's again, it's not. It's things are always easier if we have direct control over everything. But in something like this, you you have a lot of influence in many areas, but not full control. So it, it ends up being an internal. If you're a small organization, obviously a little bit different. But if you're, you know, we're we're a large, not you know, we're a mid-sized publicly traded company. So there's a lot of moving parts. We're in we're in Asia Pac, EMEA, and North America and uh, South America. So it becomes pretty challenging to make sure that all the right people are connected to it. So I would say it's not for the faint of heart. You have to make sure that you have the right relationships internally. People understand what you're doing because you, as a marketer, will have control over just a fraction of all of that. And and once again, that is that human element right there. It's building up your your relationships with yeah. other internal stakeholders, other parts of the C-suite, other departments. Absolutely. And that's one of the most challenging things I think you can do as a CMO. I mean, I haven't been a CMO, but from these conversations I've had on the show, it's a recurring topic. And it's one that I think we're going to be struggling with for a long time. But it's a struggle that I think most CMOs are up for the challenge. Uh, I don't know if you agree, Joel, but I, I, I'm hopeful for us getting sales and marketing working maybe not perfectly aligned, but better and more effectively in the future. I think we're moving in the right direction as, as in terms of like marketing and business as a whole. Yeah. I mean, look, over my course of my career, I can tell you that uh, it's never been more aligned than it is today. Right. I mean, in, in this day and age, especially in tech or SaaS, it's just a necessity to make sure that they're tight. So yeah, that's, that's, if you're in the market, look, if let's say you're watching this and you aspire to hire, uh, you know, a piece of the hierarchy in your organization or you want to be CMO someday. I mean, the, that that's those softer skills of understanding sales and building those internal relationships, making sure that you could influence without the control and vice versa, that you could receive the influence so that you can affect the things you can control. Forget about the tech and all the one-on-one stuff that we need to know as marketers. That skill for the CMO today is, is probably the most important, without a doubt. Joel, I was just about to ask you for maybe like a golden rule or a message to, to sum everything up and tie everything together. But I think you've hit the nail on the head right there. Unless there is something else that you'd want to add, like that CMO should be focusing on when it comes to ABM in 2023. No, I think, I think, well, that covers it. And again, I, I would underscore that again, those, that, uh, those softer skills are, are critical. Uh, and then really that remedial things we talked about in the front end. So if you're looking to head into a Hardcore ABM strategy. I hope this was helpful because I think some of these things, if you apply them, will have a, a massive impact. I'm sure it will be, Joel. I I've certainly feel like I've learned a lot today. I'm sure our audience has learned a lot. And as I said, it's a topic that seems to be very popular with our community, with our audience, um, particularly with 
plans being drawn up for next year and people looking to refine their processes. I think ABM and doing ABM right is going to be very, very important to getting through the next couple of economic troubling years. So thank you very much for joining me today, Joel. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks, Will. I was happy, happy to be here. And I'm sure our audience has enjoyed it too, Joel. Um, thank you very much to our audience as well. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll be back soon with some more CMO Combos. Like what you heard from this CMO Combo? Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a rating so the whole world knows how great it was.